Since the canonization in the year 2000, Catholics are learning more about Sister Maria Faustina Kowalski and the Divine Mercy messages she received from Jesus. What's not as widely known is that St. Faustina also received visitations from the Blessed Virgin Mary. Today we will hear from Father Donald Calloway, a priest with the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. He will tell us about St. Faustina's intimate relationship with the Blessed Mother and how Mary can unite us more closely to her son. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, Chancellor of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Talking about the Virgin Mary and the spirituality of St. Faustina. We have our, two of our regular professors here. Again, Dr. Regis Martin, a professor of systematic theology, and Dr. Scott Hahn, professor of biblical theology. And we have another almost professor around here from the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, Don Calloway, our special guest today. As a young man, of course, Don had a profound conversion, which has become a great impetus on this campus when he tells his story and uh, led him into the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. And as a member of that, attended the university as a student and eventually to the priesthood. <clears throat> He's the author of several books, including his newest, Purest of All Lilies. And his religious order is charged with spreading the divine mercy message as given to St. Faustina. So we're going to talk about those things, Don. Uh, our students always appreciate your being on campus frequently, visits. And I'm sure we could do an entire show about your conversion story, which they just love and can hear it over and over again. But just tell us briefly, if you can, the grace that brought you to the priesthood? Well, uh, as many people know from seeing that uh, conversion video that I've done, and we're going to be doing a book, by the way, very shortly of that as well, um, I just lived a real rebellious youth and was not Catholic. And my mother and father ended up converting to Catholicism. I like to say because I drove them nuts, they needed God, so they became Catholic. Yeah. And then two years after that, I had a profound uh, conversion myself. Uh, which led me to um, be open to the truth in its fullness, to convert to Catholicism, and eventually to discern my priesthood, uh, vocation to the priesthood, which I would have never thought about in my wildest dreams in my youth that I would become a priest. But uh, Jesus and Mary showed me so much mercy, so many graces, and uh, studied for 10 years, became a priest, and went to the university, Franciscan University, and now live here in Steubenville, just about a mile from the university, uh, God has done such amazing things in my life. He has, and you are an inspiration to our students and all the grimy details you tell them, <laughs> not us, but that's all right. Uh, many of our viewers are familiar with St. Festina from the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, which is chanted, of course, every day at 3 p.m. on EWTN. Uh, give us a refresher. Who is St. Festina and what is Divine Mercy 
in capsule form. <laughs> well, Father Mike, um, she was uh, St. Faustina was just a simple Polish girl, lived from 1905 to 1938. And she, when she entered a convent uh, in her early 20s, the Lord began to reveal to her certain messages uh, about His mercy. And those messages uh, revolved around what a lot of people know today, the image of divine mercy that has at the bottom, Jesus, I trust in you. Um, a new way of praying uh, prayer on the rosary beads called the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Um, he talked to, to her about Divine Mercy Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter, um, as the, the celebration of this eight-day octave of, yeah. of Easter. Um, and he gave a lot of promises associated with this message. And the church examined that hmm. and ended up approving uh, her sanctity. And she was the first canonized saint of the third Christian millennium. Now, when Pope John Paul II uh, central to this whole process? Oh, he sure was. He, uh, her diary was banned for about 20 years because of faulty translations. But when he was the Cardinal Archbishop in Krakow, he re-examined her um, sanctity and her diary, got it taken off the ban list, and then he became right after that the Pope. And so he took that message of mercy <coughs> to the papacy and spread it all throughout the world. Uh, he's beatified her, canonized her, established Divine Mercy Sunday, gave a plenary indulgence for Divine Mercy Sunday, oh. and then died after having celebrated the Vigil Mass for Divine Mercy Sunday. Now, why do you think <coughs> Jesus revealed this at this time? I mean, he's, the message is in the gospel that he's mercy, yeah. but why these special apparitions at this in our century? That's a good point, Father, because I think you're right. Mercy is a central part of the gospel. It's been there from the very beginning. But it almost seems that in our times, the world is really messed up. We know that. There's a lot of chaos out there, a lot of violence. There's, there's problems everywhere. And so we need an extra outpouring of mercy. You know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so to speak. And God's just lavishing and pouring out mercy in these times because we're all, we're all wounded. It, we, we've come out of a culture of death, and the Lord knows that. One more, and then explain how this divine mercy can grant forgiveness of past sins and punishment and purgatory for our sins. Isn't this more than we're used to? Yeah, there's two things that are associated with it. One is the promise that Jesus gave to St. Faustina, where he says that those who go to confession and receive communion um, in honor of Divine Mercy and Divine Mercy Sunday are given a, a complete cleansing of their sins, a wiping away of that, the temporal punishment due to sin. And that's the promise that Jesus gave to St. Faustina. But the church also gives a plenary indulgence, uh, saying that if you meet the conditions for this indulgence on Divine Mercy Sunday, you can acquire that either for yourself or for a soul in purgatory, which is such a great blessing. It is. You know, I, I, I like the summary description you just gave because you begin to realize that Divine Mercy played itself out in the 20th century almost like a divine symphony. I mean, St. Faustina getting the apparitions, Archbishop of Krakow getting it off the list of, you know, forbidden books, yeah. and then becoming the Pope. You know, we all recognize the heroic stature of John Paul. But I don't think we have enough hindsight to recognize the uniqueness of a Pope instituting a liturgical feast in the universal calendar like the Feast of Divine Mercy. I mean, you go back multiple Popes without seeing that sort of thing, but then for the Lord to have it so that He dies right after celebrating yeah. that Vigil Mass of Divine Mercy. I mean, what a coincidence? I don't think so. You know? That's a, yeah, and emphasize that again because it was such a startling occasion that it was on Divine Mercy Sunday. That That's right. I mean, here He is on His deathbed, but he's, He has enough grace and power to celebrate the Mass 
class for the feast that he instituted. I had to get for, that indulgence. <laughs> that's right. Yes, indeed. You know, but it's not just the coordination of events. You know, it's something deeper, and, and you, have, you have taught this, uh, and St. Faustina has taught it, and Father Seraphim and others have too, that, you know, we don't understand mercy correctly, theologically speaking, if we reduce it down to, well, God has, is showing us pity, undeserved favor, yeah. you know, look at our century, look at our time, woe is us, you know, and this evokes great pity. Well, it's so much more than pity. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at St. Thomas Aquinas as we have, and as Pope John Paul did, you see that mercy is the coordination of all of the attributes of God. So that when you take that infinite power and couple it with the infinite knowledge and then the infinite love, what happens when all those attributes are perfectly coordinated? That's mercy. You know, some people say mercy is God's greatest attribute, but it's really because mercy is the sum total of his attributes as they're perfectly coordinated for our salvation. So he's stooping down to our level, that's mercy, but with his powered love and knowledge, he's raising us up to his level. That's the end for which mercy is given. Uh, mercy uh, is, is the defining feature of, of God's being, but, but instead of dwelling on the teaching that, that is now part of the apostolate you've, mm -hmm. you've taken up. Uh, I wonder if we could personalize it a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you became a priest, uh, yes. and you became a particular kind of priest uh, right. as a right. result of what? An encounter with this mercy? Yeah, an encounter basically with uh, divine mercy and also what we like to call the masterpiece of divine mercy, which is the immaculate conception. As uh, Dr. Han was just saying, mercy is not just pity. It's God, all that God does outside of the Trinity comes to us as mercy because we, we don't really deserve it. He, he's just so good. His, his love outpours, and that, that takes the form for us of mercy. And that masterpiece is the Blessed Virgin Mary, who in her Magnificat sings the, of the mercies of God. And as John Paul II said in his encyclical Dives and Misericordia, his second encyclical, by the way, of his right. pontificate, yeah. he says that Mary knows mercy from the inside out. She's the greatest recipient of that mercy. And so for myself and my vocation, I, I came to know the Lord through His mercy, and especially through the Blessed Virgin Mary who introduced me to Him. And now it's so perfect that I'm in the community called the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, right. the yeah. masterpiece of mercy, yeah. and we're affectionately known as the, the Divine Mercy Priest. That's our right. apostolic. Yeah. yeah, everything seems to fit yeah, uh, really nicely does. together. This rebellious uh, uh, youth you speak of, yeah. I mean, how, how flagrant could that have been? Uh, I mean, stealing cookies or uh, chewing gum in, in school? I got kicked out of a foreign country. Uh, <laughs> my father was a military officer, and he was doing a tour of duty in Japan, and I really caused a lot of problems over there as a misfit, yeah. military misfit. Grew my hair long, got involved in uh, substance abuse, and just running a wild life, lifestyle, and eventually got deported, literally kicked out of the country. I see. Went to several rehabilitation uh, centers, and uh, through all of that was, uh, oh, it was so bad. We don't have time to go into it here, but I was a bad kid. You know, watch yeah, the video. <laughs> I had him in class, and then later on, I watched the video after you graduated right, right, with right. my kids, you know, <laughs> and it was an amazing personalization of mercy so that it's not just theoretically true, right. it's practically experienced. And I like the fact that you personalize it, but I like the fact that you point out that we all do, yeah. and most especially the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, she is the masterpiece of divine mercy, precisely because her lowliness is like this cosmic magnet that draws down the fullness of God's life and power to raise her up above what any creature could ever imagine. And, yeah. and this isn't just wow to kind of stand back and, 
and stare, it's for us to share. And, uh, you know, St. Faustina, in her lowliness, is almost a, a mini model, like a, a miniature version of the Blessed Virgin, I think, in that respect. Yeah, that's a good insight, I think, because that's, that's what she wanted to do. She sought to model her life after the one that she saw was um, the greatest recipient of that mercy and became such a, a mediator of that mercy to others so that um, Sister Faustina took the name Sister Maria, you know, Faustina, and then she took that name of the Blessed Sacrament, tacked on to the end of her name because she saw Mary and the Eucharist as those just great uh, channels or, or, you know, ways that we come into contact with God's mercy. Yeah. Yeah, what, what I find uh, uh, fascinating is, is the trajectory of her life. Mm. Uh, at age seven, I, I, I think you tell us, uh, she receives her vocation yeah. uh, to the religious life. And she makes her first communion, I think, in 1914, which is when the Great War begins yeah. uh, and the convulsion of, of Europe uh, 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 commences. But then uh, she makes her final profession in 1933, which happens to be uh, the year that Hitler becomes chancellor of, of Germany, and the depression, of, of course, uh, begins in a very real and terrifying way. But then she dies in 1938 uh, from what? Consumption, right. tuberculosis, the very year that Europe is torn apart by, by a world war. Uh, so her, her dates somehow coincide with the worst moments of 20th century history, and yet in an ironic, unwitting way, she becomes the instrument of its uh, redemption. It is really amazing. Uh, Jesus referred to her as the secretary, his secretary of divine mercy, yeah. and he, he would say th amazing things through her, this obscure nun that nobody knew about, yeah. that this message would spread to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And look at what's happened now. I mean, I, I've traveled all over the world, as all of you have, and you've seen it's everywhere. Yeah. It's sprouting up right. everywhere. Certain right. cultures, like the Filipino yeah. culture, yes. they're so zealous for divine mercy. Mm -hmm. At 3 o'clock in secular department stores in Manila, they'll stop and over the intercom pray a chaplet, That's a decade right. of the Isn't chaplet. That great? Are you Isn't serious? That great? Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> and and I, I understand that the largest group uh, John Paul II ever addressed was in Manila. I don't know how many yeah. millions of Filipinos were there. That's right. That's, in recorded history, the largest turnout ever yeah. was at that Amazing. event. Yeah. And we think secularism is on the march. <laughs> it's well, you know, in retreat. characteristic yeah. of Filipino Catholics that I've picked up, and that is their, their poverty, materially speaking, sort of invites that spiritual wealth right. that Christ That's bestows, right. you know. But you were pointing out these moments of divine mercy and how this fits, you know, with uh, not just with a, a study of 20th century history and the low points, but with our own lives, too and how mercy meets us at our low points. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, shows us that God isn't allowing these things to happen to us in spite of the fact that He loves us, but it's precisely because He loves us so much that He allows us to kind of experience that weakness, that abject <laughs> lowliness, right. so that we'll recognize how much we need mercy. You know, I, mm. I love to think of her as the secretary, as well as the, the miniature of the Blessed Virgin, because no one said, Jesus, I trust you, more from the heart than the Blessed Virgin Mary. You well, said it. Right. Yeah, when we yeah. come back, we're going to get really into the role of Our Lady in this whole Divine Mercy Apostolate. We're used to the picture of Jesus of mercy and the prayer to Jesus, but what about Mary? Stay with us. Unfortunately, every day, I know I fall. We all fall, we're sinners. And the day of judgment is coming. But Christ has promised us through Faustina that when we say this chaplet, 
the depths of his mercy are moved in his heart and they pour over into us. And if we say this chaplet, we enter into that safe refuge so that when we die, we are able to freely embrace and hug our Lord in the embrace of heaven. I love to evangelize and I read this article about the Divine Mercy and how it's the world's greatest evangelization tool. So a group of friends and I went downtown with the Divine Mercy image and we're just talking to people about their lives and how they're doing and we would explain the image about how the rays are God's love radiating, radiating upon us and that no matter what we've done that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Here at Franciscan, students recognize their vocation as a student to study and get their work done and be a good nurse or be a good doctor or whatever they want to do and they take it seriously. I feel that the presence of the sacraments on campus, specifically confession and the Eucharist and Mass, helps me develop a really personal prayer life with Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's awesome. The people here are so energetic about their faith and I think Franciscan has the perfect blend of everything. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Talking about the Virgin Mary and the spirituality of St. Festina with our special guest, Father Don Calloway. And uh, this is an intriguing point for those of us who pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet and have the picture there of Jesus with the, all the mercy coming out of his heart. We kind of center on Jesus all the time, and you've come out with all these, this new material, apparitions, mm -hmm. right? Of That's the right. Virgin Mary to St. Festina and her role being an important one in the whole devotion. So uh, how did this happen? You know? Well, what happened was um, as a seminarian, I read through the diary of St. Faustina many times and I was amazed at how often the Virgin Mary appeared. Almost every fourth or fifth page, there was something of substance about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Our Lady appeared to St. Faustina many, many, many times. Wow. And so the central message of Divine Mercy is obviously our Lord. That's, that's the primacy. But as I went through it as a Marian, you know, in my, my community, I thought, boy, it'd be interesting to unpack that Marian aspect of her spirituality. Yeah. And so I was given permission to do a licentiate, an STL degree, by my community with a specialization in Mariology. And so I did that as my thesis, uh, unpacking that. And there was so much content there that uh, I made, actually ended up making a book out of it. Uh, and there's all kinds of devotional aspects, even doctrinal aspects. Um, metaphors, the ways that St. Faustina talks about Our Lady in terms of flowers and shields and all these kind of things that just make for a very rich understanding. That's exciting because the Divine Mercy itself, centering on Jesus, was kind of a refreshing new way of getting excited about Jesus and now you're giving us a new way to get excited <laughs> about Mary. But, but at the same time, uh, the prominence and, and, and presence of Mary in, in this uh, this uh, uh, devotion isn't an exercise uh, in co-option. I mean, Mary is not uh, <laughs> arrogating to no. herself right. pride of place. I yeah. mean, she always says, do whatever he tells you. I mean, she's transparent before her son. Exactly. You know, I think of uh, the Marians as being Christ-centered in a very important way. And that famous picture, you know, Jesus, I trust in you, is sort of the embodiment of that. But the Marians are like St. Faustina, imitators of the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, you think of two signal moments in the Gospel of John. The, the marriage at Cana, where she really had to trust in him. They're out of wine, so, you know, my hour hasn't come. 
do whatever he tells you. Another, you know, a paraphrase of, Jesus, I trust you. And then, of course, in John 19, at the foot of the cross, where she's looking up and having to say silently from the depth of her heart, Jesus, I trust you, even though you and I both know what you could do to stop this, you know. And yet, here he is not only dying for us, but dying for his tormentors and asking her not just to give consent to the sacrifice of her son, but to become the spiritual mother of the beloved disciple and all of his tormentors, too. I mean, Jesus, I trust you, must have been articulated at that moment by her, you know, more than everybody else put together. And she is so Christ-centered herself, I think there is not only no co-option, but there's no tension whatsoever. Right, right. The closer you get to Mary, the more Christ-centered you end up being, you know, yeah, and that's, I, right. that's the genius of the thing. And you nailed it right there. I think that um, the whole phrase, Jesus, I trust in you, uh, is basically just a, a way of saying for our times, the fiat, be it done unto me. You know, there appears to be chaos at this moment, just like Our Lady at the foot of the cross. Uh, we, we would probably be saying, what is this madness that's going on here? But she, in imitation of the lamb, who, you know, opened not his mouth as he's led to the slaughter, Mary imitates Jesus, and now the saints imitate Jesus and Mary in that fiat, in that trust, be it done unto me. And that's why St. Faustina did have such a, a central place for the Blessed Virgin Mary in her divine mercy spirituality. Right, and it's not just appearing to be chaos. It's more than apparent oh, chaos. Yeah. At the cross, it is real, natural chaos, and yet supernatural grace. I mean, it's, she shows us what we should have known, yeah, but we right. never seem to learn that it, you know, in the world's catastrophes, God's greatest works are accomplished. Yeah. Right, that's why we call it Good Friday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what about the titles, you know, Mother of Mercy and Mediatrix of mm. Mercy? Are these, uh, how did St. Pestina come up with them? Well, she, she talks about, uh, she explicitly has Our Lady as Mother of Mercy yeah. as the title. Actually, Mary is the one who, um, in one particular apparition, appears to St. Faustina um, and, says, and calls herself the Mother of Mercy. Okay, and that gets worked out in the diary in various ways, uh, one of which is that Mary is the Mother of Mercy incarnate, of the person of Jesus Christ. Yes. He's come to reveal the merciful face of our Heavenly Father. And then she's also mother and mediatrix of mercy in the sense of she mediates to us the graces and mercies that come to us from the saving work of our Lord. And so she is the one who, in her heart, in her maternal mediation, gives to us her spiritual children all these blessings that Jesus has gained for us on the cross. Yeah. So I, I was mediate in terms of Jesus and ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that... She intercedes for it, but also... That's right, yeah. It, she intercedes for us, and at the same time, she anticipates our needs as our spiritual yeah. mother, okay. and she helps us by, as St. Faustina will say many times, she cloaks us with her mantle. She protects us. She right. nourishes us. And if need be, she, as mother, corrects us. Right. That's a, yeah. a mother's right, and her role is to lead us. I do think that there's a natural instinct within our human reason to interpret this sort of role or title, mediatrix, co-redemptrix, what have you, in, a, in competitive terms, you know. And we miss the fact that in the order of grace, there is a non-competitive relationship in which she participates perfectly in her son's role as mediator. You know, he has merited our salvation, but he's also merited our capacity to merit. And he, you know, where do you find the, 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 the perfection of what Christ has merited? In Mary and in her perfect capacity to merit in a creaturely role by the power of God. It's sort of like, well, wait a minute. 
then there's no longer a tug of war. You know, it's a non-competitive relation that is so counterintuitive to the way we experience natural life. You know, it requires that sort of prayerful openness to allow ourselves to be transformed, so that you know we can recognize in her. Jesus' masterpiece. Right. You know, yeah, you know, we, 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 we could speak of a kind of symbiosis, a, a synergy between Mary mm. and Jesus. Uh, uh, she perfectly reflects uh, uh, Jesus. She doesn't draw away or deflect or distract right. from him. And I was struck by the, the description that St. Faustina provides. Uh, she, uh, she calls Mary the first tabernacle of the body and blood of, of, of Christ. So right. she is the perfect mediatrix. She presents, she showcases, embodies Jesus himself. So to go to her is not to go away from him, but to be centered upon him. If, if they're partners in this, she is very much the junior partner, mm -hmm. but she is a partner. Right. Primacy belongs to Christ, her son. But uh, it, it makes, I think, the redemption all the more glorious that he would include her consent, her fiat, as a necessary, indispensable moment uh, in this, this, uh, this uh, avalanche of, of mercy that engulfs uh, the entire world. Yeah, good point. I, I, I think that that's why that one phrase that you, you quoted from the diary about when she says about Our Lady, you were the first tabernacle of Jesus' presence. Yeah. And what that's basically saying is something so profound that God com comes and He abides within, right, right, you know, yeah. His creature. And on that, he, that creature himself, herself, becomes a mediator of grace on some level, right. just like um, the tabernacle does in the sense of God's presence is, is there, alive and active. And when it's abiding within a human person, right, there's right. a beautiful cooperation yeah. that allows you to be an instrument of grace for others drawing and, and into it's, Christ. And it's also a wonderful exaltation of Mary, mm -hmm. the creature. Jesus doesn't use her. I mean, that, that's the Protestant tendency to sort of instrumentalize Mary. Well, he had to have a womb, so he, he occupied this and then he discarded her because he doesn't need her. Mm -hmm. He can do it all by himself. But Jesus has respect and reverence uh, and, and regards the value and weight of her being as important. Uh, he doesn't insult her right. or, or dismiss her. And yet she chooses, she voluntarily becomes yeah. a pure instrument, a pure vehicle of grace. And virgin is important to this? Oh, very much so. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's uh, Faustina's... Uh, the thing that she's crying out to heaven for. And this, is a, this amazes a lot of people because we're dealing with a saint here, a great saint. But she's always crying out for uh, purity, for mm. purity of heart, body oh. and soul and yeah. mind and intention and yeah. will. And a lot of people can look at that and think, gosh, this is a holy woman. Yet she's right. crying out night and day. Right. Right. And she, in a particular way, uh, at, was asking Our Lady for this grace. Uh, and she acquired things that were tremendous. You know, a lot of saints, we hear about them receiving a, a belt of purity. To, to protect them. Right. She got one of those yeah. uh, from the intercession, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary to help her. Uh -huh. Now, this was in the 1930s. Right. You know, right. boy, we, we need, you know, some prayers like this today, helping right. us to, to preserve, you know, our chastity. And, but she and also purity. got swords of pain. Uh, she did. Explain she, that. Well, the, a lot of people don't know this uh, when they read the diary. It's only a few places in the diary where St. Faustina refers to um, her undergoing the pangs of abortion as though vicariously wow. suffering for the yeah. women who were having abortions. Yeah. And now, historically, one of the priests in my community, I believe it was Father Seraphim, who's a walking encyclopedia on Polish history and, <laughs> and all of that, um, he says uh, that historically, in the 1930s, Poland had an extremely high abortion rate. Wow. 
Is that right? And thus, yeah. Faustina was allowed wow. to undergo the pangs. It's in her diary to, in two instances where she underwent, uh, she calls it the ripping out of her insides yeah. of women who were having abortions, and she suffered uh, for, for them, you know, for their conversion. Kind of vicarious wow. atonement. Right. You know, this illustrates, once again, how Jesus does these things not to hoard them for himself, but to share them with us. You know, Paul says in Colossians 1.24 how he rejoices in his sufferings because he's making up for what is lacking in the suffering of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. You know, wait, Paul, rewind that. You know, what do you mean lacking? Well, it isn't as though Jesus didn't suffer long and hard enough on the cross. It's that the love of Jesus was expressed in that sacrificial suffering, which is then reproduced in us by the Holy Spirit. And what St. Paul was describing is exactly what you're describing St. Faustina going through. And it's something that God calls us to even when we don't understand it theologically, intellectually, you know. Right. And that's the mystery, I think, of the reality of the mystical body of Christ, yeah. of which St. Faustina lived a woman at the heart of the church wanting to offer her own participation and allow Jesus to be alive in her as a member of this living organism, the mystical body of Christ, to cooperate with him in his ongoing work of salvation uh, for the nations. Yeah. Well, a little more basic and touching the curiosity of many of us, she talks about all these struggles with chastity and purity, and she's a contemplative nun, cloistered away. I mean, we usually figure, hey, they're beyond that. Uh, that's past stuff. Right. How, how does I know, it makes you wonder, that? is there hope for us? You know, oh my goodness. But I think that the reality is, is that uh, she was not a robot, she was not an angel. Uh, she was a woman, and um, she actually, at one point in the diary, if you remember, at the very beginning of the diary, she actually talks about ignoring the Lord's call and going to a dance. Right. Yeah. And the Lord appears to her and says, how long am I going to put up with you? <laughs> and so she was a girl, you know, she, you know, like all girls, you know, she, she had things that she wanted to enjoy and, and to experience. But as she went through her life in the convent, um, you know, the temptations would be there just the same. Uh, the struggles, the trials, and actually in her sister's community, they thought she was crazy. Uh, they sent her for psychological evaluations. Because? Uh, various reasons. Some were saying, oh, she says she's seeing the Blessed Virgin oh, Mary and, and Jesus yeah, and all this normal. kind of stuff. Yeah. And also because she sought to not defend herself when somebody accused her of something, to remain silent. Yeah. And she would offer up certain things to attain purity, like her silence. Like she would say in the month of May, for example, today, or this, during this month, I will offer up my silence so that I might acquire greater purity. And it's truly amazing because... And uh, at the same time, she's uh, struggling with a sexual dimension in her life. There's it's, nothing explicit about okay. that in the yeah. diary. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, uh, she's going to undergo trials of different, different kinds uh, that remain between her and the Lord. But it's, I think it's a great witness to us it that is. if this woman in the 1930s right. was asking for this, how much more today do we need? Okay. Well, but let well, me ask you this. Uh, are the, the anonymity that, 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 we, that surrounded her outside uh, the convent, mm. inside was there the same obscurity and darkness that people just didn't get it? They didn't know what is she about? There was, actually. Oh, they were spying on her in her cell, in her room. Oh. Trying to, to, to trap her in something. Right. And, and, uh, but but well, she embraced this cross. She did. When we come back, we'll probably do a little more on that because uh, uh, there are some parallels that are interesting. But stay with us as we pursue this further and see the role of the Eucharist with St. Festina. Mm -hmm. 
Our Lord tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mary appears to Faustina many times in Holy Mass. She tells her, take my most beloved treasure and giving Faustina Jesus. She gives each of us our most beloved treasure. Do we really believe that Jesus is our most beloved treasure too? For 25 years, Francisca University has led journeys in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and the saints. We go as pilgrims, not merely as tourists, exploring the richness of the Catholic faith and enjoying the laughter, prayer, and support of Christian fellowship. Join Franciscan University on a true pilgrimage that will touch your mind, heart, and spirit. Visit FUSJourneys.com. I would say that the classes here are very rigorous because it's not just about repeating the information back to the professor, it's about applying our faith and applying the lessons to current events, to different social problems. Franciscan University is definitely a challenging academic environment. It's unlike any other Catholic university out there. We're not just going through the motions, we evangelize in the community, do service for those in need. There's even weekly sidewalk counseling and prayer at an abortion clinic in Pittsburgh. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Well, we're here at Franciscan University surrounded by our students who are uh, working the equipment and with our regular panelists here, Scott and Regis and our special guest who's pretty regular on this campus also, Father Don Calloway, who wrote his doctoral dissertation, no, licentiate dissertation on this uh, St. Festina and uh, the amazing dimension of Our Lady's presence there is what we're pursuing because we tend to just focus on Jesus and the prayer of divine mercy. Um, we, as we broke, we were talking about, hey, she wasn't that well received, you know, when she was having these great experiences in the, in the convent, uh, the, in the cloister in her case. Uh, but doesn't that follow? When Jesus went back home and tried to preach to his own people, they said, hey, we knew him when he was just a carpenter's son and growing up. Yep. So was this part of the same thing? Hey, she was supposed to just be one of us and blend in, and here she's having... Yeah. These, would that fit? Oh, I think so, Father. I, I think that um, her path to sanctity was an imitation of our Lord. And so yeah. she's going to be on some level misunderstood, rejected, ridiculed. And um, she learned to accept that and to allow that to be done in her so that she could become uh, even more purified and through that fire of trial and all of that. And she uh, was constantly asking our Lord and Our Lady, help me to endure the sufferings that are coming from outside and from within. And her, her own community now loves her to such a degree that sure. they actually have called her the, like their second founder. Yeah. So yeah. things come full yeah. circle in time. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the, the really impressive thing that, that, that indicates the sign of her sanctity is not that she's getting the visions, but that when people despise her for it, she doesn't lash out. She doesn't That's retaliate. Right. She suffers in holy silence. That yeah. seems to be the real testing. That's exactly it, and that's, that's what the church examines, is her yeah. life of virtue, right. yeah. not necessarily what she wrote, yeah. uh, because her grammar actually was atrocious in, ah, in the right. diary. When yeah. she wrote the manuscript, she only had maybe, I think it was two years of schooling, 
And so uh, she was not well educated, so she certainly wasn't canonized because of her education. Hmm. It was her holiness and her, and her right. virtues. Yeah. And, and she, all this ties into the Eucharist very much with her? Very much so. She, uh, she had a very Eucharistic spirituality, a very liturgical spirituality, where she saw in the Eucharist four explicit things that she wanted in her life because she saw them in the Blessed Sacrament. And those were purity, as we've already been mentioning, because the host is white. And so she sought to be you know, pure, which makes sense in light of Our Lady as well, the Immaculate Conception and, and such. And then also she sought silence. She was always trying to remain in a spirit of silence. And then also humility, because the, the Blessed Sacrament is God's just extreme humility, that what looks like a piece of bread is actually the flesh you know, of the God-man. And then also her, her desire to be, be a victim, like the Eucharist, wow. a sacrifice. Those are the four elements of her Eucharistic spirituality. That's, uh, that's, that's challenging mm -hmm. when we think about going to the Eucharist. You know, there's really a convergence here when you speak of Jesus and Mary and how it's non-competitive, it's not threatening. The Eucharist is really, you know, where those meet because he receives his flesh and blood from the Immaculate. He gives it back to her to empower her to become the mother in the order of grace. You know, and so there they are. You know, you never receive the Eucharist and just get the second person of the Trinity without the first and the third. You never just get the persons of the Trinity you also enter into communion with the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I, I think of this Eucharist as the portal into right. the life of God that Mary embodies. So again, it's not just theory, it's, it's practice, it's daily life, and it gets you through these hard experiences. I'm, I'm really grateful that you underscored how difficult it was in the community because those kinds of tensions are there, not only in religious communities, as I've come to see, but in religious families as well, oh, natural yeah. homes where people who are sincerely pursuing, you know, holiness end up pursuing it in very different ways. And Jesus, Mary, and the Eucharist are sort of the one thing that we share. So let's get back to that even if we differ in a lot of, you know, a lot of other things. Since we have authors here, do you experience what I do, that the people closest to me that I've known the longest are the most reluctant to read my books. <laughs> For Kimberly's sake, I will not comment. Right. Well, we yeah, won't there, but they, still they, they, they know you, right. and they know, if, what are they going to learn if they get right, right. yeah. the book? She writes, and I don't always read what that's she writes. Right, right, that's a great thing. So, uh, does she present a model to us on how to prepare for the Eucharist? And um, she, she prayed does. a lot for Mary to help her? She did. She had um, that aspect of her Eucharistic spirituality, which gets translated necessarily into a liturgical spirituality, is that her favorite season of the year was Advent uh -huh. because it was a pre preparatory season of anticipating the coming of the Lord. And she would do that by anticipating the celebration of Christmas, the presence of Jesus coming to her in Holy Communion, in the visions that she was receiving, and Jesus said profound things to her like, my daughter, you're to prepare the world for my coming. Uh, I know, wow. unbelievable statements. Yes. And so she had an Advent spirituality that she would ask Our Lady continually, Mary, help me to receive Jesus when He comes to speak to me, when He comes to me in Holy Communion, and when He's going to come to take me, uh, to, to be with Him. Help me to receive Jesus at these times. That's right. And I think that's important for us <coughs> as well because um, we're not any different than Faustina in the sense of Jesus wants to come to us in the very same ways into our hearts and we communicate with Him in our hearts uh, in Holy Communion and we're all going to die. Yeah. 
and, and, and the Lord is going to come for us. And so we have to be prepared and ask Our Lady to prepare us for that. You know, then Cardinal Ratzinger right. in his book Eschatology points out something that when we speak of the coming of the Lord, you know, the word for that is parousia in the Greek, which is now a word in, in the English language. But parousia doesn't just mean coming. It really translates more specifically as presence. And that's yeah. what really ties the second coming or the final coming with the Eucharistic presence because there is a real parousia, a real presence, a real coming. And again, it's the Eucharist that's, that ties together these moments because we don't have to wait until the end of time right. for Christ to come. You know, at the beginning of the week, He has come. Right. And throughout the week, and then, of course, at the end of our lives, there's that special coming. And, you know, the Eucharist is sort of what, again, unites, coordinates, ties it all together. Yeah. So. I, I guess she couldn't possibly have endured uh, the persecution, the indifference, the hostility, the incomprehension if she had not already been living mm -hmm. this Eucharistic uh, presence, this parousia. This is what sustained her. She was annealed uh, in Christ uh, mm. through his mother all the time. She talks about that quite frequently, too, yeah. just exactly as you said it, that without that great imitation of the Eucharist, yeah. uh, the Eucharist be became her life, her everything. Right. And so she took as part of her name, Sister Maria Faustina of the Most Blessed Sacrament, to emphasize that this is what make, gives me my strength. Yeah. Uh, uh, to, to, well, well to Jesus live. certainly answered her prayer. If she wanted to, to become a victim, he yeah. certainly obliged her. He right? certainly did. <laughs> On one page in her diary, actually, she makes a big X and she says, my will no longer exists. I you see. know, just yeah. completely giving herself yeah. to, the, to the holy which, will of which God. Which is so wonderfully Marian, a complete surrender of self. Yeah. And then you discover that self on the other side That's right. of the That's sacrifice. Right. Where did that title, Purest of All Lilies, come from? Then? Well, she That's used right. that. She, she has this thing where she almost does like poetic praise yeah. of our Lord, of Our Lady, um, of uh, the, our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament, or some religious theme. And in the English translation, I'm told, doesn't do it justice. It doesn't have the same rhyme and the same flow. Uh -huh. But in the Polish, the original, they say it's very beautiful. It flows, it rhymes, there's a measure to it. And in one of those, she refers to Our Lady as the purest of all lilies. Uh, yeah. Because one of her roles in the convent was she was a, one of the gardeners, always working with the flowers. Uh, yeah. And so she knew the flowers well. She talks about the, the lily, the violet, the rose, and a whole host of others. But her favorite was the lily. And because the lily is traditionally attributed with Our Lady's purity. Um, a lot of icons will have three lilies in it right. with Our Lady, meaning about her perpetual virginity, the before, during, and after mm. Mary is, is virgin. And so she, she's always talking about the lily, but she never refers to herself as a lily because yeah. she, she sees herself in attainment of purity, right. whereas Mary is the lily, the snow-white lily, the purest sure. of all lilies. I see. Yeah, adorned more greatly than Solomon. Yes. Yeah, right. Right. So for her, sanctity is the struggle to become a saint. Yeah, exactly. It's and not an achieved yeah. uh, state, but uh, a process. And to become an like enterprise. Our Lady, right. she says to our Lord one time, in the Polish, in the, in the English, it doesn't come across again. She says, I want to be immaculate. Yeah. And we obviously, when you hear that statement, you know <laughs> what's going on in her heart. I want right. to be like Our Lady. Right. Wow. I, I want to be free of sin. And that's profound. It is. It reminds us that there are no saints in the world. You're only a saint at the end of your race when you're making that great passage, you know, and everything is a preparation for that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. What Our Lady received at the beginning of her life, our Lord wants to give to everyone at the end is to, right. to be completely without blemish, stainless, right. spotless. Yeah. Holy yeah, I mean, the whole tension between already and not yet. Yeah. Or as Catherine of Siena says, all the way to heaven is heaven because 
He is the way. Well, when we talk about this and her presence, I think of contemplation and the highest state, you know, in the union, oh, with her Lord and Our Lady. And yet she had the practice of 9,000 Hail Marys uh, to prepare for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I've got to <laughs> say something about that because try sure. that sometime. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. She would prepare for the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th, two months in advance. Yeah. And her favorite Marian feast day was the Immaculate Conception. And why? Because it's an Advent mystery. That yes. day always occurs in Advent because the Immaculate Conception prepares us sure. for the coming of Christ. And so she lived the spirituality and she would pray a novena of a thousand Hail Marys a day for nine days, nine thousand Hail Marys a day. Wow, I see. That's yep. an amazing, yep. amazing wow. thing yep. to accomplish. Yep. And she did this at least twice when she was sick in bed and dying. Yeah. I can't even do that when I'm I'm fully functioning and I'm it's a, you know yeah. it's amazing that she can yeah, do something. I don't like think that. we want to put people into a guilt trip by you know <laughs> yeah. what you don't pray a thousand a day for nine straight days, yeah. you know. Yeah. We've got jobs, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's really it's a function of, yeah. of love. To oh, be yes. excessive, over the top. And she says, at the, at the beginning of my book, I have one of her quotes where she says, nothing is too much when it comes to right. honoring the Immaculate right. Virgin. Yeah. And certainly we see that through that novena of 9,000 Hail Marys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you love somebody, you don't spare the number of flowers yeah. you collect for them. I mean, unless you've got to buy them. <laughs> and when you love her that much, you're simply imitating Jesus, who loved like no other son ever loved a mother. Yeah, you know, right. the, the, the basic passion of a Catholic is to love Jesus as much as Mary did and to love Mary as much as Jesus did. Not any more, yeah. but not any less, you know. Right. Yeah. There is again that, that, that uh, so unity would, that converges. How would you summarize from all this what role Mary should be having in our lives, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we sure know centering on Jesus and the Christ. And how do you express sure. Mary's role? Well, I think in imitation of, of the saints, um, it was actually Jesus who invited Faustina to have a deeper relationship with his mother. At one point in the diary, Jesus says, I desire you to go to my mother with these needs that you have. And so if our Lord invites, you know, someone so great as St. Faustina, you know, he's also inviting us because she's also our mother. Our Lady is, is our mother. And I think by coming to know her more, we can live up to that great call of wanting to say what she said, the greatest words that any human creature have ever said, fiat, right. be it done unto me too, right. Jesus. Yeah. I want to be like Our Lady and I give you my life as well because by doing that, I'll come to love and know you more. That's what it's all about. Well, it's the most powerful weapon that we creatures deploy, this capacity to say yes, to surrender, to let God, let go and then let Him. Yeah. He's just waiting in the wings yeah. to take over yeah. because it's His play. That's right. And Mary's the pinnacle of that. And for us to imitate her, just oh, it's always going to bring us closer to our Lord. Yeah. That's extraordinary. But uh, when we come back, we'll summarize uh, what you should be taking away from this message as we have final comments from the whole panel. So stay with us. I recite the Divine Mercy Chaplet because... It allows me to claim the victory of the cross. Um, in the cross, we see his precious body and blood as taking on our sins and our inadequacies. And the Divine Mercy Chaplet allows me to embrace that victory and to truly receive his mercy, not only for myself, but for the whole world. The professors 
are constantly bringing in God to their subjects, no matter what it is, not because they have to or they're trying to force it, it's because he naturally works in everything that we're learning about. I'm a biology major and it's hard, <laughs> it's really tough. But anything biology, muscle, body is cool to me. So learning about the body and the way that the body works and knowing that, that there's a God behind it all is just absolutely amazing to me and beautiful. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. We've come to the last segment in this great and uh, uh, I think revelatory uh, program on the place of the Virgin Mary in the spirituality of St. Faustina and how important that is along with the centering on Jesus. So we'll have some final comments and takeaway thoughts with that and Regis is all ready. Well, I don't know if I'm ready, but uh, <laughs> I'm scheduled. Uh, what a wonderful uh, presentation. I'm so delighted that you were able to come, to come back, uh, even though you live here, but you're always away. But you came back this morning, and it's been edifying. Uh, I, I, I didn't realize that uh, the wild oats you had sown as a rebellious child were as wanton as uh, you suggest. You became an international crisis, <laughs> the flashpoint. <laughs> the Japanese had to get rid of you. Uh, yeah. But it indicates, it dramatizes how far God will go in his Mercy. desperate, passionate search of, uh, of the lost. Uh, and it also, uh, in, in describing uh, St. Faustina, it, it gives me a renewed appreciation for the struggles that she must have had. I mean, even though she receives the vocation at age seven, she's not lifted out of the human condition. Mm. She's still wounded. She's still in need of, of mercy. And, and evidently, she got busloads of it, and it changed her life, and it looks as if it may change the course of postmodern history. Uh, that's, that's what's so glorious. L let, let me end with a, a wonderful, moving passage from uh, Pope Benedict in the last uh, chapter of his uh, encyclical on hope. He invokes the star of hope, who is the mother of God. It's a very moving stretch of, uh, of homage. He says, life is like a voyage on the sea of history dark and stormy, watch for the stars that indicate where we are going. The true stars are people whose lives have been good. They are lights of hope. And who more than Mary could be a star of hope for us? With her yes, she opened the door of our world to God. Well, that's really quite moving. And that's the message of, of St. Faustina, and how fitting that she should be the first canonized saint of this new millennium. Right. How about that? Good. Thank you, Regis. Scott, what do you think? I, I can't help but draw a comparison between St. Therese, the little flower, and St. Faustina, oh, yeah. a little lily, because there's a, there's a sense in which this, a 19th century hidden saint becomes the, the, the pride and joy of Catholics throughout the world in the 20th century. She's not only canonized, she's rendered a doctor of the church. And you have to wonder, you know, her journal of the soul, this diary right. of divine mercy, you know, what is going to become of this? Uh, and the timeliness of John Paul's appointment and the recognition by Pope Benedict and the encouragement of these world congresses and this sort of thing. It seems to me that we've got to fall in love with St. Faustina and she will help us fall in love with Jesus and Mary as well. 
But I think the chaplet of divine mercy, along with the image of divine mercy, are practical ways that we can do it, practical ways that I've done it, and I'm still doing it. I mean, the image of divine mercy distills the essence of all revelation. Jesus, I trust in you. I mean, that's it. You can't say anything more than that, and you'll never exhaust that. And then, you know, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. It draws us right to the heart of Jesus, his sorrowful passion. And you never get beyond the word of the cross. You never outgrow suffering and sacrifice. And so this journal, this diary, seems to me to be a, a kind of beckoning for those of us who are in the third millennium, the 21st century, to discover the inexhaustible riches of this mercy. And I think that... Uh, you're going to see it not in a lofty theologian, but like St. Therese, a true doctor of the church, you find in St. Faustina the kind of divine light we need to get through dark times. Mm -hmm. I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I'm reminded uh, myself um, an experiential aspect of mercy in my own life, and I know that we've all experienced that. I often refer to myself as the poster child for divine mercy. It works. You know, I'm yeah. exhibit A. This, this, this is reality. Good. God is so good to us. And I know I meet a lot of people out there on the, on the highways and byways of the yeah. world that, you know, a lot of dysfunctional families, things are sure. messed up in this person's life, or they know a relative who is. And I think that this message is of such importance for our times. And thus we have John Paul II on April 30th, 2000, when he canonized St. Faustina and established Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, at the dinner afterwards, after the canonization ceremony, he said to one of the doctors who had examined the case, of St. Faustina and her sanctity and all, all of these things, he said to, uh, to him, this is the happiest day of my life. Wow. And this is recorded. Happiest uh, day Happiest of day my of life. his life wow. when he established Divine Mercy Sunday and canonized St. Faustina, one yeah. of his own, you know, one of his, his Polish, you know, just a, such a yeah. great figure. Um, amazing. amazing. Yeah, Father George Kosicki writes about this and Father Seraphim in some of their yes. books and works. And I'm reminded in my own life, Lord, thank you so much for giving this message to our times. You know, you could have given it to any other time in human history, whenever uh. great plagues in Europe. And, but you saved this special gift wow. of mercy, highlighting it anyway. It's always been there, but giving it to us in our times because we really need it, Lord. And we really do need to trust in you. He, and he could have wanted placed on the bottom of that image, uh, the divine mercy image, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you're wonderful. All yeah. true. Yeah. But he desired this particular statement, Jesus, I trust in you, because the world seems to be chaotic and it seems to be falling apart at the seams. And yet, in spite of all of that, you are the Lord of history and I know that you love me and I trust in you. I trust in your plan for my life, for my family, for the world, even though it looks dark and chaotic. I know what that means to my life and I, I encourage the viewers to, to find out more about this message, uh, about what it can do for your own life, yes. that no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven and experience mercy. And Our Lady's role in this, will she will usher you to a greater trust and a greater love of He who is mercy itself, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you. And it's great you're an apostle of that, of that message. And uh, it, it draws so much excitement on campus. It is such a uh, powerful message for our students and they look forward to the Divine Mercy Chaplet and particularly to the feast, the Sunday Divine Mercy and um, it just has hit a point of a void or something in, in the lives of so many that it has built them up and brought them along the way uh, where to center their lives and also vocationally.
that it's based on God's mercy and you don't, you don't have to qualify with straight A for purity <laughs> and uh, sanctity before you go on. But in fact, you can go down the road of mercy receiving that grace and that blessing. And of course, Don, you've written the book, The Virgin Mary in the Spirituality of St. Faustina with the title, Purest of All Lilies from uh, indeed Marian Press in Stockbridge. And we're happy you have that. And we recommend that to, to our viewers. But we will also send you an excerpt from that book uh, from Purest of All Lilies just for contacting us. Um, you will get a free uh, excerpt and be able to uh, digest all these reflections on St. Faustina and uh, the role of Our Lady. Uh, in my own life, uh, Mary has been my mother, so true and real. And the days when my mother was out of the church and then when she came back and had enormous blessing but died early in my uh, preparation for the priesthood, uh, just knowing that Our Lady is there as mother, and she's always there, even if you have some distance or problems with your own mother. So go to her and contact us. Come for a conference, come for distance education, graduate education, undergraduate, whatever. We want to be there for you. So till the next time, may the Lord bless and keep you, show his face to you and have mercy on you, turn his countenance to you, and give you his peace. Amen. To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu or write to Franciscan University Presents, Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio, 43952.